is no other name on this earth. Hallelujah, Father. We give you praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, Lord, let's continue to praise him, Lord. Amen. I will bow, yes. Oh, Lord, I will bow to you, to no other God but you. Yes, Lord, I will bow to you, to no other God but you, Lord. We will worship you, I will worship you, nothing has but you, Lord. Lord. 
everything almighty all-powerful all-knowing you are everything and we honor your great name today praises to the name of our God worthy of every song worthy of every word worthy we worship you today God we honor you we do we honor you today Jesus Lord help us now to not only honor you with our words and our voices, but God, help us to honor you as we give, as we hear your word, as we interact with each other, as we contemplate, uh, Lord, the direction you would have for our lives today. We honor you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, great job singing and worshiping today. We're glad to, that each of you are here. We're gonna take a moment and greet each other. How many, uh, how many enjoy singing? Anybody just raise your hand if you enjoy singing? It's scientifically proven that if you greet other people, your voice will improve 18%. Did you know that? So please, during our greeting time now, greet somebody and you'll be a better singer when you're done. Well, again, it's great to see you today. And before we receive this morning's uh, tithe and offering, if you are a guest here today, welcome. Uh, I'm sure somebody's welcomed you already, but we want to officially welcome you. And it would be a tremendous help to us if you can take that Connect card in front of you, complete that, and turn that in in the lobby at our guest services desk, and then we can formally thank you. Plus, we have a gift there for you. So if you could do that for us today, that would be wonderful. And uh, as we prepare to give today, Matthew 19 has a story that maybe if, you're a, if you've been around church for a while or read the Bible a while, you might know that there is a story about a rich young man, and he... And he was checking all the boxes off in life. You know, he was doing this, doing this right thing, doing that right thing. And, and everything was, in his mind, was, was where it should be. And then he uh, met Jesus and he said, hey, what must I do to be perfect? And it came down to this. Jesus said, I tell you what, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your things, give it to the poor and come follow me. And it was that moment that the young man realized that that was that one thing that one thing that was keeping him from really walking with God. And so this is an opportunity we have as we give to be able to make sure that there is nothing that is keeping us from everything Jesus has for us. And so as we give today, we give in worship and excitement about what God's going to do. Lord, thank you that we get to give. Thank you that we get to experience you in this way, to interact with you, to worship you in this way. I pray you would bless this offering and God that it would come from hearts that are grateful and that are walking in obedience and uh, Lord are excited about you and your kingdom. Bless these moments in Jesus name. Amen.
What an appropriate song for offering. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you guys. Hey, uh, before we give our, our announcements today, there's a Worldview magazine out here. Uh, what a great resource to just to encourage your, uh, your faith, inspire you about what God's doing around the world. Check those out in the lobby. Um, and uh, you'll, you'll be, your faith will really be encouraged. Hey, if you grabbed your um, bulletin today, you'll know that it's full as usual. And I want to make a, just a, a couple of announcements really quick here. Uh, Girls Ministries Annual Harvest Dinner. Uh, you, have to, you have to check that out. I'm telling you, if, if, you don't, if you haven't in the past, you need to this year. And if you have in the past, you'll want to anyways because you know how good it is. So the sign up for that where you can make payment and have your order is out uh, at the desk uh, in, the, um, in, the, in the lobby. So make sure you do that so that Lucy can get a good count for that day. Uh, Sunday morning, the uh, Ephesians series is, is continuing. And uh, also on uh, a couple of, uh, of other events, the Joy Group will be meeting October 22nd at noon for their luncheon. Check that out. If you're, uh, is it 50? Is 50 the cutoff? Is that where it begins? So some of you will hit it and some of you won't. That's okay. If you just show up, they're not going to kick you out anyway. So just come. It'll be a good time. And uh, also uh, November, um, uh, November 9th is when the, the, when the dinner is the girls' ministry and annual harvest dinner. Uh, we have, some, we have a, a really important thing coming out. The uh, Speed the Light sub-day orders, uh, we are prepared to receive those. There's a table out there. Fill out your form. Put it in the jar. Uh, we've got turkey subs, ham subs, Italian, and what we call the Speedy. And you in Delaware here, we would know it as the Bobby. But we call it the Speedy because we can. And uh, it's a uh, real turkey stuffing, um, you know, cranberry sauce. It's incredible. So make sure you do that. Again, all proceeds for Sub Day, which will be delivered on November 6th, that Sunday, goes towards Speed the Light. Please do that. And then lastly, we have a special guest that we actually haven't had here in a while. Robert Solomon uh, will be coming on October 23rd, which is next Sunday, ministering to us. And he'll ministering in God's Word and in music. And I'm sure Pastor would say a little bit more about that. But that's happening next Sunday. Take advantage of the opportunities uh, that God has here for you, for your kids, for your teens, for young adults and you adults. Uh, but God bless you guys this morning. Well, you know, looking at the greeting time, few, just a few comments. Looking at the greeting time, um, man, I've never seen people so hungry for fellowship even before the pandemic. You remember how that just, remember, remember the whole six feet away and coming in this door and going out that door? I don't mean to bring up, I try to forget pain usually. But I don't think you guys, we've never had to shut you off from greeting and that's not what this little speech is about. I don't want you to stop. Okay, keep, keep enjoying each other. Um, just right through the videos. We don't care. Um, just get it in. And, but it makes me wonder. I'll tell you what, you know, we're less than two months away from our annual Christmas dinner. So we're going to have some good fellowship again. We had a great time at Founders Day, didn't we? At our anniversary. That was wonderful. Good crowd, good food, beautiful day. Just a lot of great things are happening. And I'm excited by that. And looking forward to next week with uh, Robert Solomon. He is fun. And I asked him, it's been a long time, when he first came here, years and years and years ago, I asked him to share his testimony. 
And then other times I've had him, he'd just kind of preach and sing and all. But I said, you know, it's been a long time. We need to hear that again. And part of it was, you know, again, growing up in Calcutta, kind of as a street kid, his father being involved in the occult and drunkenness and all kinds of other things. And what God has done in his life is incredible. And God has used Robert in our movement. He's used him in different ministries. And just so, so good to, to just know him as a friend and to be able to share him again with you next week. So don't miss Robert next week. You will be blessed. And I also want to say uh, over the last couple of weeks, thank you for your generosity. Uh, two weeks ago, thank you for giving to help those uh, you know, who were devastated by Hurricane Ian. Ian. Uh, there's been so many little ones I've been following through the Caribbean and over in Mexico. But Hurricane Ian, thank you for what you gave. We gave $5,000 to Convoy of Hope. And then last week, when I wasn't here, you had a friend of mine as well, Jason Morris. Uh, and uh, thank you for your giving too, because we were able to send $2,000 to him and, uh, and help with the need that's there where he is. So thank you again for your generosity. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, today we're back in Ephesians. We have three messages, including today's, to wrap up the uh, epistle by Paul to the Ephesian church. And we're in chapter 5. And of course, the scriptures will be up top. Um, but beginning of verse 1, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it's, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray, Lord, for your voice to be heard this morning. Lord, that our hearts would hear your voice speaking to us. Lord, that we be encouraged, Lord, that we be, that we be edified by your word. And Lord, that we'd even sense conviction where necessary. Lord, I pray that your will would be done in our lives this morning through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now listen, I want you to take a good look with me at the first four words, first four words, not verses, first four words of this chapter. 
Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. That is a tremendous challenge. In the previous chapter, Paul had exhorted us in chapter 4 to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. That's pretty heavy. But now today, he says that, that we are to be imitators of God. In a previous chapter, he said to no longer live the way that the Gentiles live. But today, we're being asked to be imitators of God. And all of this is worthy, yet it almost seems unattainable. I mean, how is it that I, even as a believer, as a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, a born-again Christian, how is it that I could ever possibly, adequately imitate God? That's a tall order. And you know, it seems as we've been going through Ephesians from the first chapter up until today, it seems as though Paul has been increasingly raising the bar for each one of us in these chapters. Uh, you know, he starts out in chapter one, it's pretty basic, but then it moves up until here we are in chapter five today, only one chapter to go. But here we are in chapter five, and he tells us to be imitators. I mean, to, to look like God. Now, I'm not sure how that makes you feel, but the first thing I sensed when I read that was my own inadequacy. And so I immediately sought out all the scriptures that would, that would confirm for me, that would tell me, that would justify my position about just how frail I am as a part of humanity. All, you know, I looked at, I found, I found, and I found a ton of verses, I'm going to share these with you, that show us exactly how limited we are as human beings. We're being asked to do something divine, to be an imitator of God, to really look like God. And yet, you know your own, you know your own limitations. But listen to these verses. Psalm 39, verse 4 says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Isn't that honest? How frail I am. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called, when you were first called. Think about where you were at. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world, you and me, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you and me. Psalm 144, verse 3. O Lord, what is man that you care for him? What is man that you even think about us? The son of man that you think of him. Verse 4, man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. So that's the right perspective. Folks, we are frail. Our days are fleeting. We're nothing without Christ. Our lives are like a vapor, like the morning dew that vanishes in the heat of the sun. And even Paul's, I'd read you just a few weeks ago from Romans chapter 6. I love the candidness in that chapter. But even Paul admits his own human weakness. When he talks about the struggle that's going on in his life. 
In that chapter, if you remember, he spoke of the battle within himself between the desires of the spirit and the wanton desires of the flesh. He told us how there's this constant battle. He says, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I know I should do. And he says, woe is me. Who can help me? Who can help me? Doesn't that just reek of, of frailty? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's our help. And then here in the fifth chapter, he tells us, in spite of all that, and, and with Paul knowing exactly what every one of us are going through, what we're living with day to day, even in spite of that, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, in chapter 5, verse 1, he tells us to be imitators of God. How, how can we be like God? Well, let, let me tell you that we do have a couple things going for us. We do have some things in our favor. First, we need to remember that in spite of the fall of man, in spite of the blemish left on God's creation by sin, you and I have still been created in his image. Created in his image. It's a fallen image now, but we were created in his image. So we do have within us an innate ability to resemble our heavenly father. I'm just blessed by that thought. And then take it a bit further. Because of sin, he has given us his Holy Spirit as a helper. So we still have that resemblance. But now he's given us his helper. He's given someone to us who can lead us, who can guide us into all truth, who can guide us into righteousness, into the right way to live. He's given us someone, the Holy Spirit, who can make our lives holy and pure just by his presence in our lives. You know, you cannot make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself righteous. We become holy and righteous by being in his presence. You in your flesh cannot make yourself better. It's by his grace. It's by his healing touch. It's by the presence of his Holy Spirit. And the more of his, the more time we're in his presence, the more we have his presence within us, the more holy we are. All of our own, all of our own righteousness Isaiah chapter 64, all of our own righteousness, any righteousness that you could muster up is as filthy rags, the prophet wrote. So it's strictly the Holy Spirit working in us. And I like what 2 Peter 1.3 says. Listen to this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And then the next verse, verse 4 as well, he says, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Again, we become, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, and Proverbs in particular, tells us we become like the people we spend time with. So if we want to be more holy, if we want to be more like God, then guess what? You've got to spend more time with God. You've got to spend time with the Holy Spirit. You've got to be around the Holy Spirit. It's possible for us, folks, to participate in his divine nature. We just read this. We can participate in his divine nature, that is to be like him or to imitate him, because he's given to us everything we need for life and godliness. 
And you, again, at, f- at first glance, it, it does seem like an insurmountable challenge. But you know what? God never asks us to do something without supplying the power and grace to do it. We know that. You know that. God can challenge you. He can bring you through some times that, that just are just unbelievable. But I guarantee he's going to be there to get you through. If he asks you to do something, he is going to provide. He's going to supply. And, and, and if he hasn't done it in your life, and that's hard for me to believe, but if he hasn't done it in your life, just look at what he did all through the Old Testament with his people. Look at what he did in the New Testament with the disciples, with the apostles. And something else I want you to know this morning, when God, through the Apostle Paul, encourages us to imitate God, he is not mandating perfection. So, you know, remove that thought. He is not mandating perfection. He is mandating an effort towards perfection. Can you see the difference? In other words, it's almost like, remember, remember in grade school at least, I don't know what report cards look like today. All I know, if I can brag for a minute, my grandkids get all A's, so I got to pay them money every quarter, you know, every semester. But that's all I know. But I don't really look at them. I just, I heard they got all A's, here's some money, you know. I mean, that's reality, okay? If you got grandkids, you know. But back in the day, remember you had letter grades? And I'm not really that old, but we had A through F. Now I think it's A through E. Is there still an E or is it, I don't know, but... I mean, we had more selections. That was on one side, right? A, B, C. And then on the other side, you had effort, right? And it was U for unsatisfactory, S for satisfactory. And I don't, I can't remember what, it was just, there was something for when you really were doing great. And, and what used to blow my parents' minds, I'd have all these low letter grades on the one side, you know, not, 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 not A's, you know. And then on the other side, I was satisfactory. I'm thankful to those teachers. Spared me a beating. But what does that really say about the child? This is all they can do. This is it. This is it. They got some C's and some C minuses, some D pluses, but they're satisfactory on effort. Johnny's trying as best he can. But you know what's, what's, what's great about that? I think there is some grace in that. And that's how God looks at us. He's not, he, he's not expecting you to be perfect. Hello? He, he really isn't. Not in this world. Not in this world of sin that we live in. Not in the corruption we're surrounded by. He's not expecting. He's not, but he wants us to, to put in the effort. To strain for it. To strive for it. To, to, to at least desire that. Can you see the difference? It, it's not whether you got an A or not. It's whether you got an S. You're satisfactory. You're trying. And that, that's, really what, that, that's really the message that Paul's conveying here. This is a continual effort. It's not one that you achieve and you're done. It's a continual effort. Think of the many times when your children were, were very young. Remember how they really enjoyed imitating you, um, dressing up in oversized clothing. How many of you had kids that did that? I, I know my wife always had a box of clothes and the kids could get dressed up any way they wanted. You know, longer, pa- daddy's old pants and mom's old dress and they're just too, too long and too big, but they get, and they, you know, you're just tripping over everything and I'm just picturing them and in, in, in my daughter maybe in heels and a long dress trying not to hurt herself and just, they, they love dressing up, playing the role of mommy and daddy, pretending and imitating actions and behaviors pretty scary to think about it because they imitated the whole thing, you know, the good behavior and the bad behavior. And, but listen, think about how they looked, right? 
much of the time they looked ridiculous. They're trying to imitate us, but they looked at now. Now they looked adorable, but they looked ridiculous. But then look at their hearts. They looked up to you. They sincerely wanted and hoped to someday be like you, to be an adult, to be a mommy, to be a daddy. And that's why they were trying to imitate you. That's why they're trying to imitate your actions. And, and to give you some perspective, you know, someone said that imitation is the highest form of flattery, isn't it? Isn't that true? I'll tell you, I am not the most creative guy, but I've visited enough churches in my lifetime that I can steal ideas out of those churches and bring them here. And then you're like, whoa, pastor, you know, wow, you're really creative. No, I stole it. <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, you know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. It's all been done before. Could this, could this be even how our Heavenly Father looks at us? You know, I, we look ridiculous. We're not that good in imitation, but he's thrilled. Amen? Really? You know, that, that we're attempting, we're attempting something that would look like him. And he's pleased with that. I, you know, again, I'm not giving you a license to go into all kinds of sin and not worry about how you live your life. I'm not, not doing that. And I know you know that. But, you know, sometimes I think we're too hard on ourselves. He's not, I want to repeat it. He is not expecting perfection out of you on this earth. But he is expecting you to strive for, per, for perfection. Jesus said, listen to this, in Matthew 5, 48, he said, and this, this is mind-blowing. He said, Jesus said this now. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, doesn't that sound like it negates everything I just told you? But, but here's, again, the tense that it's written in and spoken in is expressing an ongoing effort. In other words, he is not expecting you to become perfect. But he wants you to strive to be perfect. In other words, keep, what, what, another way to translate it might be, continue to strive to be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Try to be perfect. Try to be perfect. Try to be perfect. You're not going to attain it. Not here. Not here because we're in a fallen world. And you're in a fallen body. And you have a soul that's going through a transformation process, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, listen, Paul, Paul said, not that I've already obtained all this or that I've already been made perfect. Paul himself says, I'm not perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And others, I'm striving Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, forgetting yesterday's failures, forgetting all the past, because God has, if I've surrendered it to him and given it to him, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Isn't that it? Isn't that it? So our imitating should be a constant endeavor. 
Now, going back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, look at there, there, are a couple, there are a couple specific ways mentioned in which we are to imitate God. Obviously, when we're given such an instruction like this, it does come with some parameters. It comes with some limits. For example, we're not, we're not being asked to imitate God in some really big, heavy-duty areas, okay? Can you imagine if God, if this included us acting providentially, and I don't know if you know what I mean by that, uh, governance of the laws of the universe, That'd be pretty heady, really, you know. I mean, can you imagine? That'd be such a trip if God put one of us or several of us in charge, maybe even as a committee, and we would make sure that the planets revolved in their proper orbits. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, that's, that's one of the things God does. Can you imagine being an imitator of God? And, 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 I mean, you get to make sure that stars in the universe are born and die according to his schedule. Wow. I mean, that'd be like assistant God. So obviously and thankfully, we're not being asked to do those kinds of things. We're not asked to be involved in that, but rather two basic ways that we're to imitate him. And the first is found in verse 2, chapter 5 of Ephesians. Paul says, live a life of love. Live a life of love. And he gives us Jesus Christ as his example. It says, live a life of love, referring to Jesus, who gave himself for us. Now, for whom did Christ surrender himself? According to Romans 5.10, he died for his enemies. Jesus died for his enemies. And you know, we were all enemies before we came to him. He died for you and me, even before we accepted him as Savior. And both verses 8 and verse 6 of the same chapter remind us that Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we were distant from him and alienated from him. Colossians chapter 1 says the same thing, verse 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from all accusation. And to really understand the depth of his love, we need to also remember that he gave without any guarantee. He gave his life. He gave his love without any assurance that that love would ever be returned. That's, that's tough. I, I don't know. That'd be a real challenge for all of us. Jesus once said, what benefit is it to give to someone that you know can give back? And he lived that. What is there in loving someone who's going to love you back in return? I mean, it's easy to do. Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. Let me read this. He said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? If you love those who love you, big deal. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, we just read that verse a minute ago, but now you've got the context for it. Our love is to be different. Our response is to be Christ-like, to imitate God in this, of loving others. Again, we were once his enemies, and yet he loved us enough to die for us. And now we're to do likewise. We are to love others as we imitate God. Ephesians 5.2, Jesus gave himself out of love, and it became a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, just, just like the difference between the offerings presented by Cain and Abel. Why was Abel's offering acceptable? Because every deed done in love, agape love, 
is pleasing and acceptable to God. Just doing good, deed, good deeds is not enough. There are a lot of benevolent people out in the world who don't know Jesus. And they, and they give things away. I mean, there's some big names out there. You know who I'm talking about. Just doing good deeds is not enough. According to Scripture, according to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, 2, and 3, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making a lot of noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains but have not love, then I'm nothing. So I, I, I can be a spiritual giant, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. He says, if I give all that I possess, all my material wealth to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, all the spirituality that you can possibly muster, all the good deeds that you can for, possibly labor for and accumulate during your lifetime, it's all for nothing. It's all meaningless unless it's connected with love. According to what we just read, you're just a noisemaker. In order to be an imitator of God, you have to first learn to love even your enemies. The second specific manner in which we become imitators of God is found in verse 3, 4, and 5. Ephesians 5, verse 3, 4, and 5. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ, and of God. So in other words, if we are to resemble him, then we have to strive to be holy, and in that process, avoid evil. The Apostle Peter in his epistle, he quotes from Leviticus, and he tells us that we're to be holy because God is holy. You know, Jesus said, be perfect as the Father is perfect. And in Leviticus, God's word says, be holy as God is holy. Again, that's a striving, that's a goal. And then Ephesians 5, 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words. And, and what this has always meant to me is that preaching, the proclamation ministry, should not always be positive and flowery and encouraging. Sometimes the preaching ministry should include a word of exhortation and admonition and even correction. Amen? You know, it's not, not to be all you know, fluffy and wonderful and soft. And Sometimes it's got to be convicting. Sometimes a word has to be used like a, like a huge spotlight to search out the dark closets and crevices within our soul. King David prayed many times, but specifically in Psalm 139, verse 23, he said, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way, any wicked thing within me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And the Word of God is involved in that process. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And now back to Ephesians again, verse 8. Paul tells us that we were once darkness and now we're light. 
And notice there's no mention of shadows. There's no mention of living in the dusk, the twilight. Because you see, there's no middle ground. As a Christian, there's no middle ground. The only way to cure sin is to expose it to the light. Amen? That's how you get rid of it. And, and, and a, I want to give you eh, it's a simple but it's a rather lengthy illustration of this. This is real life. Because I want to share with you, I want to tell you about two different marriages. And one which ended in divorce, but two different women and the unfaithfulness of their husbands. And, and I want you to pay close attention to the contrast between these two situations. The first woman was married to a man who was a faithful member of the church that I was pastoring at the time and was in a number of ministries in the church, even headed our, uh, one of our key ministries for a while, a really good brother, and, and for quite some time, really served the church very well. But somewhere along the line, he began to drift. And it, was not, it wasn't noticeable at all. I mean, very, very gradual over, over a good period of time, no one could have guessed what was going to happen. Until one day I received a handwritten note from his wife. And in this note, she informs me that her husband is planning on leaving her for another woman. Now, normally, I would, I would jump right into a situation like that and try to help them deal with the issue. But not only did she say that in her note, but she added this. She, she demanded in her note that I respect their privacy and not confront her husband about his plans. Do you know how frustrating that is? I mean, especially for a pastor, but it probably would be for you too. If someone came to you, someone you know and love, and said, hey, my, my husband's leaving me, but don't do anything. Well, why even tell me? <laughs> Not really. I mean, I'm, seriously, it bothered me. And my hands are tied. She can't keep him. Now, I could have confronted him, but she would not allow me to. And so there was just no way to expose his sin. And by her efforts to keep the sin hidden, even though it wasn't her sin, she wound up losing the entire battle. He not only walked away from her, but also from the Lord. And I have to wonder, what if, what if I had had the opportunity to pull him aside, confront him man to man with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God? It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's living and it's active and it can cut, it can divide, it can divide bone and, and, and sinew and it can divide the soul and attitudes of the heart. I mean, the word of God is powerful. I have to believe that not only would have he, he would have remained with his family, but he would have remained with the Lord too. I really believe that. You see, the Bible tells us that if we hide our sin, we will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, let me tell you about another woman. And this is really chronological. This first incident happened and then another incident, very similar. But this woman had come to me for counseling. She told me that she and her husband were just not close anymore and wanted some help with getting their relationship back on track. And so we met and I gave them some tools whereby they could learn to enjoy one another again. And yet over a few months, I saw no progress. There was nothing, nothing happening. Same complaints. And then finally, after several months of wasting my time in counseling sessions, the wife admitted to me that all the while, with her full knowledge, her husband was having an affair 
So again, we're hiding sin, calling it something else, hoping somehow this is going to work through counseling, yet never bringing out the true issue. And so here's a woman trying to hide the sin of her husband. And in true form, as long as sin remains concealed, nothing can be done. Finally came to the point where he's packing and he's leaving her. And she, I mean, she contacted me right away. You got to do something. Okay, instead of don't do something, you got to do something. And so I called him up and said, look, you know, after you get your bags packed, come by my office. I need to talk to you. And he did. I mean, I'm assuming his bags were in the car. He was going to leave. He was going to head out of town. And we just sat down and I confronted him with the word of God. And he left my office and immediately ended the adultery. And we began to work on rebuilding the marriage. See the difference? Once the sin was out in the open, it ended. It could be dealt with. And that's why Paul emphasizes the ability of light to expose all things. If we coddle sin, we're going to pay a terrible price. See, the reason we have to be, we must be, we must be imitators of God is so that we don't get hurt. By partaking of his divine nature, we then reap tremendous benefits. I mean, this is for us. This is God's word of encouragement. I have so enjoyed the book of Ephesians. I hope you have. Paul's letter to to that church. It was Paul's letter, but it's the Holy Spirit using him. Folks, we get blessed when we avoid sin. We get blessed when we practice loving others with a pure agape love. And this is Paul's challenge to us today. To be imitators of God. Striving to be more like him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heather's not here, right? (laughs) She's getting ready for the kids musical, if you can believe it or not. Christmas musical. Wow. But I want, us to, I want us to go to God this morning. And there are several things that we can do. First of all, we need to desire to be more like him. To be more like our God. As Paul said, to be imitators of God. And, and I, again, I want, you, I want to take the heat off because you're not going to be perfect in this world. You can't. There's only one place where there is no more sin. There's no evil. There's no deceit. In fact, there's no hurt. There's no pain. There's no crying. There's no sickness. There's, it, it's perfect. And it's a place called heaven. Now, I, I'm not trying to give you an excuse to not try to be perfect. I think, as, as we read today, we're, we're to strive for it. We're, that's to be our goal, to be more like our Heavenly Father, to be imitators of God. knowing that we won't make it this side of heaven. But it pleases him. And it's an incredible testimony to the world around us when they see that that our lives aren't in a shambles, that we've got things properly ordered because we're trying to be more like him. In fact, even the word tells us that God's desire is for us to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. So Paul says we're to be imitators of God. And the gospels tell us that we're to be conformed into the image of God's Son. That's our goal. That's our goal as believers. And along with that love, a real true agape love. 
because he loved us when we were sinners. He loved us when we didn't know about him or care about him. He loved us enough to die on that cross, again, with no guarantee that anyone would ever respond. He was going to do it anyways because that was what God, the Father, had dictated. He was obedient to the Father, obedient even to death on a cross so that sinners, all of us, could come to him and live eternally in heaven where everything is perfect. And then also as this passage talked about sin, you know, if there are things in our life we need to get rid of, now's the time. There's, no, there's never a reason to hesitate. And we can do it today. And you might have to do it again tomorrow or maybe Tuesday. But you got to keep doing it. You got to keep striving. You got to press on. Not that I've already obtained all this, Paul said, but I strive on. I strive on to take possession, to attain, to strive after. The goal to which Christ Jesus has called me to. He's called us to this. And so right now, I want to ask every one of you to stand. Let's stand together. And let's just spend some moments here at this altar. Again, maybe you just want to say, Father, help me to be more like you. God, help me to be more like you. Jesus, I want to look more like you. I thank you that that the fall hasn't wiped out all semblance of who we really are. But Lord Jesus, you have made us to be born again. And there's a transformation process that's supposed to be working in our lives. It's called sanctification. There's a renewing. Maybe you need to be renewed today. I want to invite you. Come to this altar right now. Don't don't wait for me to start praying that way. Just come and let's just go to God together and ask him to work in our lives because this world needs to see a church that is truly redeemed and renewed. We We need to be imitators of God for the sake of this world, not just for ourselves. They need to see something genuine. And you know, maybe there's a sin in your life you've been struggling with. You know what? Just bring it here. Dump it at this altar. Rebuke it. Ask forgiveness and walk away. And ask for God's help to overcome that. There's so much that he'll help us with if we'll give it to him. And that's what this altar time is all about. This is where God's word truly becomes reality. It becomes effective in our lives. If we just sit there on it, it doesn't do anything. We're, we're just hearers of the word. We're not doers only. And Lord God, we give you all of the garbage right now. Lord, all, all, all the waste in our life, Lord, we give it to you right now. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you, God, that you have the power to set us free of, of all kinds of different chains. Lord, you have come to set the captive free. If any one of us is in you, Lord, we are free indeed. If we're in the Son, we're free indeed because the Son has set us free. And Lord, I thank you for the spotlight of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you have a way of bringing conviction into our hearts and you know the things that need to be worked out. And so, Lord, that whatever needs to be left behind at this altar, God, we do that today in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for the powerful name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for every one of us, God, that that we would truly become imitators of God, not holy Joes, Lord, not putting on a show, not posing, but Lord, you'd really begin to work in our lives that the things of this world just wouldn't matter anymore, that you would become all in all, that we'd want what you want, Lord God. Lord, I, I know, God, we've got to get caught up in the mundane. We've got to go to work tomorrow morning. We've got things to do. Some have to go to work tonight even. But Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that there's more to life than just that. Help us to be more like you, Lord. 
God, help us to be more like you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be so welcomed in our lives that that holiness would just happen. It would just happen just by us talking to you, being in a relationship and fellowship with you. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for what you want to do. And Lord, I thank you, God, for your word today that I believe that it has found fertile ground and there's going to be a harvest of righteousness. Lord, I thank you that you're working in your church right now, all across our nation, not just Praise Assembly, but you are working in your church right now. And I thank you for the days ahead. I thank you for the transformation that you are bringing about. Lord, I believe you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you once again for your word, for the presence of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the fellowship of your people. And Lord, I pray, God, that you just, Lord, use us and bless us for your purpose. Bless your people now, Lord, as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.